everyone, and welcome to another episode of More Content Talk. That's the only show that cuts through the glam, the glitz, and all the bullshit to bring you the truthiest news that we can find joining you in another frigid night here in the Bay Area. Very, very chilly where I am anyway. But I like the cold. I like the cold. I've always liked it. I don't know why I like it. Um, I remember reading one time on the internet that it's because like you're a depressed person but that sounds like someone who likes the sun just you know making a blanket assumption to be honest i i like the color gray i gray used to be my favorite color it's not anymore now it's red um which is funny because i'm i I lean to the left so it's odd that my favorite color is red but it's also um interesting to note that the the colors of the parties actually used to be reversed so Maybe I'm just a purist. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm also not a member of the Democratic Party. I just happen to lean to the left. So not a, probably gray is a more accurate. <laughs> Here in America, if you're not a member of the political parties, you don't get to vote in the primaries. You don't get to vote in the primaries. Which seems weird to me. It's like, if you got... Because they're... Obviously, the philosophy there is, well, if you're not going to fucking be a member of the party, then you don't get to decide. But if you really wanted to stick it to one party or the other, couldn't you just technically join one party or the other and then just, like, fuck over their primary that way? I mean, I think, I mean, I understand that maybe most people wouldn't go to the extent, but if you wanted to, to you know, stick it to a party, you're going to find a way to do it, whether it be on Twitter or whatever. So I don't know why they don't just let unaffiliated people vote in the primaries. I think you would get better candidates because, you know, it would be less about party ties and more about the quality of the candidate. Um, so I think that that is one thing that people should start asking for is like, hey, you know, why can't unaffiliated people um, uh, vote in the primaries? And maybe that would improve our very uh, poor choice of candidates. I don't know. Speaking of that, you know, I got accosted, and well, not accosted, but like screamed at by some weird Democrat today. Uh, it was weird because it was a report that was by the Young Turks, and um, it was comparing Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. And I just said, you know, because because there's some rumor that DeSantis will at least attempt to run. And I was just saying, you know, uh, DeSantis and Trump, they both have goofy smiles. They both, uh, you know, uh, make a lot of stupid mistakes. Uh, they even kind of look alike. So, I mean, it's going to be difficult for Republicans because they might vote for the wrong Nimrod. Um, and I thought that was a joke that Democrats would enjoy. But then I, this person commented on my comment on YouTube. And they were just, like, screaming at me about, like, how Biden is better than Trump and, you know, I, I need to do my research and stuff. And it was crazy because they were using words and terms that oftentimes conspiracy theorists on the right use. And it was the same vitriol and it was the same nastiness. And, and I was like, look, dude, or whatever the hell you are, I was not saying anything bad about Biden at all in that particular comment. And it's not like I haven't said bad things about Biden before. I mean, you could find plenty of them on my social media pages or, you know, just in my podcast. Uh, but <laughs> how do you how do you yell at someone for that that Biden is the best when they're not even talking about Biden? 
I seriously don't think people know how to read. Because if you read the comment, if you find it on YouTube, if you find the Young Turks report, I'm sure it's there somewhere, you can look at it and see that I, I very specifically didn't mention Biden at all, and the video wasn't about Biden, and I was using words like they, assuming that people would assume I was a talking I was talking about DeSantis and Trump. So why is it that that person inferred their own meaning? And you see, I'm always talking about that all the time. People, they get, they take offense, and then they get mad at you and scream at you, and these are um, partisan um, members, people who engage in partisan politics, for not joining their cult. And this person was asking, actually screaming at me, insinuating that I was a member of a cult, which, no, actually, I don't go to church. I don't um, hang out with all that many people. I hang out with, you know, my family. I guess families are cults now. And I'm also not affiliated with any political party. So whatever you're dick swinging around about being individualistic and original yeah, I hear libertarians and independents say that shit all the time, too. And then I'm like, yeah, you're just a member of some other group. So, again, it's kind of like the edgy stand-up comedian. It's like, yeah, you know, you're telling um, jokes for Netflix and Pepsi, okay? They're controlling what you have to say. I know that you sign a contract. You can't say anything you want to say. That's not true. Any comedian who tells you that, who's working for a corporation... They can't say whatever they want to say. They need to get approval. And you even heard the um, CEO of Netflix, Eric Sardanios or something, I think his name is. He said, I don't think that Dave Chappelle's humor causes real world harm. You know what that is? That's him saying, I allow you to make fun of gay people. That's allowed when you're at my show. So it's, it's very similar to that, you know, being a member of a party and then screaming at someone that they're in a cult when you're actually the one who's in the cult because you're the one who's a member of the party. <laughs> That's the insanity of America. But that is also the violence of America. You have to understand, America is the most violent nation to ever exist. Period. That's that's just the reality. Um, when you get into uh, religious fundamentalism and things like this, I, I know there there's the Middle East. I know, I know, I know. And people will shout and scream, what about Saudi Arabia? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Turn on the TV. Look at all the murders. And sure, go ahead and blame that on defund all you want because I got a show coming up on that too where I'm going to disprove that notion too. It's not defund. It has nothing to do with it. There comes a time in American politics where tensions become increased and all of a sudden people stop caring. Tensions become increased and all of a sudden people stop caring about whether or not you're going to live or die. And they'll bully you and they'll scream at you. At the same time, they're calling for more empathy and all this nonsense. Because America's politics are violent. So let me give you a brief history of America's politics. Not... Because, you know, I hear jackasses on the news all the time. And I saw another stupid report in the New York Times a couple days ago talking, lamenting, you know, the fact that we live in, a, you know, such a violent time because AOC is getting threatened. And, you know, um, what else was it? Uh, uh, you know, you have Donald Trump, who's always giving his very violent rhetoric. You have... Um, 
all these politicians, uh, Charlie Kirk, you know, he was he was asked, OK, when are we going to one one Republican asked him, when do we get to start using the guns? And he said, no, 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 no. And then explain proceeded to explain a time when it would be valuable to use guns. So you see, even the person who was cool headed in that situation, which oddly enough happened to be Charlie Kirk, even he resorted to violence. You see? And you'll all resort to violence. I hear liberals all the time. They're getting their guns too now because they think that's going to do something. Yeah, it's going to do something. It's going to get people you know killed. That's what it's going to do, especially if you have children in your house. They're going to find it, and they're going to shoot themselves in the head. It, that happens all the time. Turn the TV on. You don't even have to read. I'm not even asking you to read. Watch the news. Watch how violent people are in this country all the time. You will see families murder each other. You'll see them fight with each other. Domestic violence is through the roof. And you're all sitting here talking about, oh, I, I, I just don't understand why it's happening. It always happens. It always has happened. Look at the, the, the brutal beatings of wives in the 1950s and 60s and even 70s and tell me. That that's not just the same thing. Just we're we're not putting a spotlight on it. We don't have a, we don't have cameras all around. And this is the thing, you have cameras everywhere now, so you can see what you all are actually like. How crazy you all actually are, have been driven by America. And those of you who who aspire to be in America should take note that this is what happens to people when they move here. Peaceful movements start in America all the time, and they become violent and radical. Christianity has turned into a violent, radical thing in America. They make death threats almost on a daily basis. And no, it's not just fringe. It's not. And it's not just conservatives. It's on both sides of the aisle. People are becoming increasingly violent, increasingly vitriolic. Why? Because that's how it always has been. Now let's get into this article from the New Republic. Now let's get into this article from the New Republic by Jeet Heer, published June 15, 2017. It is entitled, America Has Always Been Angry and Violent. Which is the truth, by the way. The notion that Americans are particularly angry today has become a rote talking point in the political press repeated year after year and, and remember this article was written in 2017 that's four years ago and e even in 2017 they were saying year after year so now it's year after year after year after year after year they just repeat the same script over and over again you know why because the people who work for the media they're not very good and i've told you this before it's ridiculous to expect a conspiracy in the media because the media is like where the trust fund babies with no talent to write or you know do real art go these are all wealthy snobbish people for the most part you have very few normal people in the media very few good journalists and that's always been the case go back to the days of William Randolph Hearst and you'll know what I'm talking about there have never been a lot of good journalists. There, you, you get like maybe four, five or six a generation, and that's about it. 
Anyway, let's continue. News is the me main, you know, the media is full of morons. In 2011, after Representative Gabby Giffords was shot by a mentally ill man, NBC's Mark Murray wrote, If one word summed up the past two years in American politics, it was this, anger. And think about that. Did you hear that? A mentally ill man. He was mentally ill. They almost never mentioned that part. I'm not saying it excuses it. I'm not saying it makes it any less violent. I'm just saying it makes it makes a, a whole hell of a lot more sense. That, of course, if you have people with mental illnesses and they can just walk in and get guns and let's say that particular mental illness makes you really angry and it fills you with rage, you don't see the conflict of interest there? You don't see how that could be dangerous? But this – and you have to understand, I don't, I'm not interested in uh, taking your guns away or anything like that. Um, I think that perhaps, though, we should look at the fact that since we do have such freedom with guns, it's actually – it's shocking that things like this don't happen more. That's the real shocker because it really – it's easy to do. In 2007, George Will wrote in the Washington Post, Americans are infatuated with anger. How does one become infatuated with anger? Anger doesn't even make you feel good. You see the preposterousness of the headlines? In 1996, in her book, The Angry American, George Washington University political scientist Susan Tulshin described an epidemic of voter rage. What's voter rage? What's that? 1996? Did you hear that year? 1996. Look at the 1990s. That's when crime reached historic lows. And yet still, the talking point was voter rage. Why? Because they're actually making voters actually want you to do something. Is that rage? It is to the media. Don't you dare ask the media to tell politicians to do anything because they will throw a tantrum and they will yell at you and call you all kinds of names. Say you're you have you're full of rage. It sounds like an abusive husband. Look, you know, calm down, bitch. You're full of rage. Calm the fuck down. You don't you you see what I'm getting out of here? Continuing the article, but long before any of these writers, amid Barry Goldwater's demagogic presidential campaign, the great historian Richard Hofstadter began his classic 1964 essay, "The Paranoid Style in American Politics." You hear that? Paranoia. Paranoid. American politics has often been an arena for angry minds. In recent years, we have seen angry minds at work mainly among extreme right-wingers. But behind this, I believe there is a style of mind that is far from new, and that is not necessarily right-wing. That's the key. I call it the paranoid style simply because no other word adequately evokes the sense of heated exaggeration, suspiciousness, and conspiratorial fantasy and that I have in mind. This essay was written in 1964. Listen to the adjectives. Hear what he's saying. Heated exaggeration, suspiciousness, and conspiratorial fantasy. You know why? Because conspiratorial fantasy is more American than apple pie. There is a cult every day in America. A new cult pops up every single day. And if it's not a real cult, it's a cult of personality. Everyone is the enemy but the people who are the members of the cult, the group. 
That is American. You cannot get away from that. Every time we go on a, you know, holy crusade or we try to fight some war, we try to cure some ill there because it it becomes divided into groups. And then all of the rhetoric is just directed at demonizing the other group and nothing gets done. That is America. Hofs I'm continuing the article now. Hofstadter was exactly right. Not only about the anger in the mid-60s, but also that it was far from new. We are not, as Paz Hortz and Pelosi suggest, living in an especially or uniquely dangerous moment. Incendiary political speech and political violence have been pervasive in U.S. history. And none of you know this because you all go to history class to take a nap. And so don't get mad at me when I tell you the truth because, you know, it's not my fault you didn't pay attention in high school. You could have learned about this shit in high school. It's not that people weren't teaching it. It's that you weren't fucking paying attention. And you especially should know it if your ass has been to college. You have no excuse. Moving on. What is impressive to one who begins to learn about American violence is its extraordinary frequency, its sheer commonplaceness in our history, its persistence into very recent and contemporary times, and its rather abrupt contrast without our pretensions to singular national virtue yes where is this national virtue coming from that you're always talking about i don't know what you're talking about do you have any idea how this country was founded let me tell you it and this is continuing from the article it shouldn't surprise us that a colonial settler society that wiped out the native american population imported slave labor and relied on vigilante violence to police newly incorporated territories should be prone to political violence Reading through Hofstadter and Wallace's book, one is reminded anew that American history has consisted of slave revolts and their violent crushing, race riots, labor classes, clashes, and assassinations. That's right, folks. That's your history. Those are the good old days that you're always talking about, the time you want to go back to, the simpler time, the nicer time when presidents were being shot dead in the street and there were race riots every day and uh, unions used to get the shit kicked out of them by big business. And you had slaves and you beat the shit out of them when they pissed you off. And then those slaves got pissed off and they took that whip out of your hand and they beat you right back. And that's why you're still mad about losing the Civil War. That's the real reason because you got your ass kicked. You got bested by your own weaponry. Your own hatred came back and haunted you, didn't it? And now you're trying to shut black people up again. They're going to bring it to you again. They're going to bring it to you again. I don't have to do anything. Don't say I'm I'm not I'm I'm predicting the future for you. I'm telling you what's going to happen if you keep going out there and acting like an idiot with these guns. You're going to get the same thing that America has always gotten: great mass suffering on a massive scale, and it won't be one race or the other. It'll be everyone until it's all burned to the ground. It's not a metaphor. That happened. That happened during Reconstruction. They went in there and they burned shit to the ground when they wouldn't listen to them. And then the South, they came back and burned right back. And they're still going. They're still fighting. And But it's an old battle. You're not new. You're not edgy. Stop it. This is how America has always been. Understand the history of America before you speak about America. Otherwise, you are not American. Period. It's your duty to know your country's history and you brush it off like it's nothing. And now it's going to come to burn your house down and it's going to be your fault.
Because if you had understood the history of America by yourself without listening to the influence of politicians, political players who have goals of their own and who are not concerned with you, you would be fine. But instead, you chose to defer to the quote-unquote media experts, the quote-unquote political experts, and look what they have gotten you. They have gotten you nowhere. You don't even know basic history of America because of them. Because they're always talking to you about their ideals of America. Well, guess what? That's just talk. This is the real America. In 1900, Hearst columnist Ambrose Bierce wrote a poem hoping that the bullet that killed Kentucky Governor William Goebel would also murder President William McKinley. The bullet that pierced Goebel's breast cannot be found in all the West. Good reason it is speeding here to stretch McKinley on his beer. McKinley was assassinated the following year, leading another Hearst writer, Arthur Brisbane, to write in an unsigned editorial. If bad institutions and bad men can be got rid of only by killing, then the killing must be done. This appeared not in some small town rag, but the New York Journal, one of the most popular newspapers in America at that time. You hear that? And you're sitting up here talking about, oh my God, they threatened AOC, it's America, how did this happen? You look like a moron. You look like a moron. Stop acting so stupid. You're too smart. I know you're too smart. If you're interested in politics at all these days, you're already smart enough to see the forest through the trees, all right? You have to cut through the bullshit. That's why I have that in the title. It's not to be offensive. It's to let you know. You can't fall for narratives. There is a narrative of America, and the left and the right both promote it as this wondrous, altruistic land where everyone's peaceful and calm and there's no anxiety. And yet the real America is violent and bloodthirsty, and you just haven't gotten it yet. It gets worse. Westbrook Pegler was one of the most popular conservative pundits of mid-20th century America, the Rush Limbaugh of his time. In 1933, he wrote a column regretting that an assassination attempt against Franklin Roosevelt's, that's FDR, hit the wrong man and killed the mayor of Chicago instead. In 1950, Pegler argued that the only sensible and courageous way to deal with communists in our midst is to make membership in communist organizations or covert subsidies a capital offense and shoot or otherwise put to death all persons convicted as such this would have resulted in a political purge killing tens of thousands of americans you hear that they just wrote it in the news ah eh, fucking kill fdr kill all the communists just fucking kill them just do that This is the good old days, right? This is the good old days you're always telling me about? What the fuck ever. In 1965, when Pegler was admittedly in sharp decline and had lost much of his popularity, he wrote that he hoped some white patriot of the southern tier will spatter Robert Kennedy's spoonful of brains in public premises before the snow flies. Robert Kennedy was assassinated as well. So you see what I'm talking about all the time? Don't give me this bullshit about you're all just little doves and angels. G g come on. <laughs> it's just a violent country. And it, 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 the sooner you accept that, the sooner you can get over it.
All right, folks. I hope you have a phenomenal day, evening, afternoon, fiesta, siesta, downtime, chill time, lunchtime, party time, whatever it may be. And remember, when life gets you down, you can always laugh at something else. Farewell, folks. Bye.